Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the Ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're going to continue, so are you with me? This is our last time together on the subject of transformation, change, uh, okay, being transformed. And uh, so, Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 11, let's remind ourselves of our kind of a text that we've been using, but it says a lot. Jeremiah 48 and 11. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, you might want to grab them because I'm going to go through one, two, three, four, five, six verses, but each one of them are going to be a, a part of this message tonight, okay? So I'm going to take you right to the Scriptures and really just uh, read the Scripture, and then we're going to talk about it, and it's going to be our points that we're going to make. So Jeremiah chapter 48 and verse 11, uh, you probably should know it by heart now, uh, but maybe you don't, because I don't either. Uh, <laughs> verse 11, Moab, and Moab has always been an enemy of Israel. I don't know if you know that. That's the, what is modern-day Jordan, so you have an idea today, modern-day Jordan. Uh, Moab, it says, has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his dregs, has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, because of this, his taste remained in him, and his scent has not changed. And... Uh, this is the process of making wine, and the process is, is that you take the wine and you dump it from one vessel to another vessel, and it becomes clearer and clearer, fit for someone to use it, to, to drink it. But if you don't allow that process to work, and you don't empty it from one vessel to another vessel, you leave it in one vessel longer than it should be left in one vessel, the scent or the dregs, the sediments, the things that have settled will begin to work back into the liquid and it begins to stink. <laughs> All right? That's the theological term for not good. Uh, all right? So it really does. It, it just begins to smell. It's a picture of a believer's walk uh, that we have to constantly be open to the Spirit of God changing us. Working in us change. I don't know about you, but to me, there, we have an opportunity every day for something to change in our life. Maybe it's just me, but I know today there were some things that came up and uh, just keep, thoughts came into my mind concerning a relationship. And I thought, where in the world did that come from? I shouldn't be thinking like that about this person. It doesn't matter what they did to me. I should not be thinking that way. Has it ever happened to you? You know, and you, so what do you do with something like that? God, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, it shouldn't be that way, but I, I want to change. I don't want to be thinking that way. Now, if I did not do that, and I allowed again tomorrow maybe to think a thought like that, or maybe skip a day or two days and it's still there, guess what? I begin to stink. <laughs> In other words, an old attitudes are there, and, uh, and I don't want that. I want people to see Jesus. I don't want people to see me at all. Okay, that's our verse. Amos chapter 6 and verse 1, 
it talks about Zion uh, being at ease. Let me read it. Give me time and be patient as I turn to these, but I, it's not coming up there. Oh, it is. How in the world did you get those? Good job, man. Man, these guys are ahead of the game, more ahead of it than me. Amos 6.1, woe to you who are at ease in Zion. I'll just stop right there. Woe to you who are at ease again in Zion. That's a warning to us. Uh, we can't afford to get in a comfortable situation. Not a comfortable where God doesn't want us to enjoy a particular time in our life. That's not what this means at all. It says, woe to you that are just, you know, kind of like become what you ought not to become. All right, let's see how good we really are. Judges chapter 16. Boom. Modern, modern technology. Uh, Judges chapter, out of the Amplified. Uh, she made Samson. Now, this is a picture. Samson was a, was a judge, uh, was called to be a man of God, to really stick out and commit himself, concentrate himself to the Lord. And listen, you could say he started out well, but there are a lot of people who started out well and they didn't finish well. And a lot of times you got to go back to this. Where did they settle in? Where did they settle for less than what God wanted out of them? And, and that's a good question for us, is it? Where have we settled? Or God keep me from settling. So Samson was being lured. Uh, he was being tempted uh, by this woman. Not all women do that. And I won't get into that area at all. She made Samson sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven braids of his head. Then she began to abuse Samson and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke, get this picture, he woke up and guess what he was thinking from his sleep? I will go out as I have time after time and shake myself free. In other words, he felt, hey, I could do what I've done before dozens of times. I had the strength just to, you know, chase the enemy away, be victorious. But what happened to him? There came a place, he fell asleep, he came a place where he thought he was okay. But because he wasn't changing, wasn't allowed the transformation, he didn't realize that his strength was zapped. He, he had lost the anointing. He had lost that strength. Now, God forbid that that would happen to any one of us uh, because you can see how it can happen. You settle in a place, everything's okay, everything's comfortable, everything's smooth, and you begin to say, I'm okay, and you're not allowing that small, still voice of God's Spirit to come and speak to our hearts. And what happens, we're going to find ourselves in a battle someday, and we're not going to have the strength. The anointing left us. Now, the end result of this, and I think there's more of this, for Samson did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He didn't even know it. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza. Where's the big battle between Israel today with Gaza, right? Bound him with two bronze chains, and he was forced to be a grinder of the grain into flour at the mill in the prison. I want you to note this. What happened to him as a result of being at ease, not allowing that transformation process to work in his life? 
When the enemy got a hold of him, you know what the enemy did? Gouged out his eyes. You know what that speaks to me and always has? He lost his vision. What do you think that minute? He lost his vision. And that's what would happen to us. In the beginning, when we're serving the Lord, you have a vision. God, I want to go places with you. I want to grow with you. It's exciting. There are new things happening in my life. Lord, I'm claiming this victory in my life and that victory in my life. I want to tell you, when you get to the place where you're at ease and you're taking your time and you're not allowing the process of the Holy Spirit working in your life, you're going to lose your vision. You'll be zapped of your strength and you're going to lose your vision. And uh, that can easily happen to us if we don't allow this process to happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, and you ought to know this one, therefore, say it with me, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, yeah, it's a familiar verse, but it ought to be. It's a good verse. It's to remind us, man, behold, all things have passed away. All things should be new. And that's what God wants. He wants the old things to pass away. He wants new things to happen in your life. New exciting things where God wants to take you in the area you could only imagine. Howard Hendricks was a gentleman that I was blessed to have known in my, my life. And uh, he, served, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And when Promise Keepers, you remember the great movement of God, Promise Keepers, I was privileged to be on the board of directors at that time. And he served on the board, so I got to know this man, which is a giant in the faith. So it was one of the privileges I had. He said this, and see if we got, have this quote. Do we, did we get this quote up, just the verses? I think we just got the verses, which is fine. Let me, let me give you this quote from Howard Hendricks. Listen carefully to this. And, and he, he's used to being in a classroom setting, so he's probably addressing, and then he put, later on put it in a book. He said, if you would, please grab a pen and write down somewhere in the margins of this page your answer to this question. How have you changed lately? In the last week, let's say. Or the last month. How about the last year? Can, can you be specific? Or must your answer be incredibly vague? You say you're growing. Okay. How? Well, well, you say in all kinds of ways. Great. Name one. You see, effective teaching comes only through a changed person. The more you change, the more you become an instrument of change in the life of others. If you want to become a change agent, you also must change. That's thought-provoking statement that he's making there. Because a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I've changed. Well, he's kind of nailing it. Okay, tell me where. You know, be specific about it. Isn't that a good question for us? We say we change. We say, I agree with that. Amen, that's right. Okay, let's take a real look at our lives. What kind of change took place last week? Did you grow in an area? It doesn't have to be a big area, a biggie, just... Anywhere, could you see something? Was it, was it an attitude? Have your words changed a little bit? In your thinking, have you changed? It's a good question. 
Another verse, uh, another quote, and I picked these ones up. The chains of habit are too small to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. The chains of habit are too small to be felt until they are too strong. Isn't that true? You don't realize, and I think Samson found that out. Here's a sign on the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That ought to be a, a little plaque that we have. We keep reminding us that we need uh, to change. Okay, uh, back to some verses here. Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. I bring this up because I'm going to tie it to a couple other verses, but the, the point I want to make here, you shall be called by a new name. Whether you know this or not, and I'm going to show you scripturally how this works, what God is working in his life is he wants to give you a new name. Believe it or not. We say, what's, what's wrong with George? <laughs> Why does he want to change my name? It's a spiritual thing that God is doing. And the new name, he wants you to, to identify with something that you, you, you're not now, but you were before you knew him as your Savior. See, so it's a new name. In other words, you're changing to the point God is giving you a new identity. He's giving you a new name. Now you identify with Christ. You identify with your, your new life that is in Christ. And with it, there's a there's actually, through this process, God's given you a new name. And I'm going to share with you where this is going to come into place in your life. In, Rome, in Revelation chapter 2, uh, look at this verse. Uh, this is, I, I love this verse. And uh, I haven't talked on it in a long time, but I love to come back to it once in a while. This is the seven churches of Asia Minor that are being addressed in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. This is happening about 70 A.D., 75 A.D. So it's, if Jesus died on the cross approximately 33 A.D., let's say 40 years later. That's not a very long time, is it? But 40 years later, the church has been in existence for 40 years. Jesus comes to John on the island of Patmos, reveals himself, and then begins to give him revelation, insight of the way things are happening then and what, how they're going to happen in the future. These chapters, chapters 2 and 3, insight into what Jesus sees that is existing in the churches that now exist. So it's almost like he's given a, an account. So there are seven churches. But this particular church, here's what he said. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Ponder that just for a moment. Now, the first reading of this, you would think, wow. Obviously, this is not something in our modern day we would understand, so maybe it's just some 
allegory or some come something that God is doing. No, there's more meat in this one particular verse than meets the eye. I want to tell you that right now. And let me go through it. First of all, he's talking to people who are really going to be overcomers. Now, to me, the greatest of overcomer, and it takes more courage, is for someone to consistently allow the Holy Spirit to change them. Because in order for that to happen, you are consistently going to cross and dying to the old and dying to self. That takes courage. No one wants to die. No one wants to put themselves on the cross. It takes courage. It takes courage to admit you were wrong, doesn't it? And yet in a lot of situations, in order for us to change into what Christ wants us to be, it's going to take admitting I'm wrong. And she's right. <laughs> or he's right. You follow what I'm saying here? This, this courage. So an overcomer is not just something, some, this whatever big incident in your life and you got through it and you really overcame. No, it's a daily overcoming. The promises to him overcomes, I will give of the sum of the hidden manna to eat. That word manna is an interesting word. It comes into play when the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness on the way to the promised land and they were hungry and they said to Moses, Moses, what are we going to eat? We don't have any food out here in the desert or this dry place. And then God had given a promise and you remember the next day they woke up and they came out of their tents. If you could picture over a million people coming out of their tents and they see this white-like substance sitting on the ground, sitting on the bushes, sitting on their tent. And the first thing they said was the Hebrew word for manna, which means, what is it? They just simply say, what is it? That's what it means. Extended understanding of that, what's this for? How come? So you could put questions like, how come? What is it? What's it for? So they were questioning because it was new to them. So we know manna as bread, right? Because we associate it with, well, this is bread from heaven. That's what they ate. This is what sustained them, nourished them through the wilderness. But it started out with a question, what is it? Now let's go back. To him that overcomes will I give to eat some hidden what fors? How come this happened in my life? What was that all about, God? How many have asked some questions like that just in your journey with the Lord? Come on. That, that's a natural thing. God, what's going on? Why is this happening? What is that? So there are a lot of questions we have in this lifetime. Matter of fact, I guess if we're truthful, we're going to have more questions than we do answers in this life. So when are they going to be answered? In eternity. And it's going to begin right here. God says, if you're an overcomer and you're overcoming, guess what? I'm going to sit you down someday and I'm going to give you the answers to what is it and the what fors. Now I want you to think how glorious is that going to be? God's going to say, do you want to know? Oh, yes, Lord. And then he shares, oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Wow, God. So there's going to come a place where we're going to, in eternity, God, that's a good promise to hold on to. I might not get the answer now. 
What do you do when you don't get an answer? Let me just share my experience. So you don't get an answer. What for? How come this is happening? Why am I going through this? You know, and I'm talking about the right now things. Uh, and let's say after a day or so, usually the Holy Spirit comes to me and say, and I might get a partial answer, or I might not get any part of it. But I, the Holy Spirit comes and says to me, and this is what I do, put that one on the shelf. Yes. Put that one on the shelf. And you know what I do? I put it on the shelf. Because if I don't put that thing on the shelf, it's going to torment me. And the devil's going to use that against me in a negative way to plan all kind of fear and doubts and accusations against God and murmuring and complaining. Everything that what I'm trying to avoid if I don't learn how to put things on the shelf and just say, God, I'm going to wait for the day when you're going to give me the hidden answers. Hidden from me now, but to be revealed in glory. Isn't that a good one? Going to be revealed. That alone ought to be comforting and encouraging too. Okay, hidden manity, and I will give him a white stone. What's that all about? A white stone. Let's go back to the time that they're living. It used to be when someone was brought in and a case was tried between magistrate, elders, or whoever they were, whoever they were, that a person it was going to be proven either he was right or wrong, guilty or not guilty, right? That's usually what you get today. Now, if they come on back, the judge has been given a stone. It could be a black stone or it could be a white stone. Now, guess what a black stone says? Guilty. White stone says innocent. They will be given a what color? Okay, innocent. And, and, and I'm going to come back to that because there's more to this white stone thing. And on that stone, picture it. On that white stone, a new name written, which no one knows, absolutely no one knows, except him who receives it. <coughs> and there are a lot of reasons for this. First of all, what goes on between you and God, sometimes nobody understands or knows. Not even your mate. They just don't know. You're dealing with God, and that's why in the process of getting a new name, no one's going to know how you ended up with this name because the wrestlings you've had with God have been in private, yes. in your prayer closet, in the confines between two ears here, or your heart. Does that make sense? So you, it's, it's just that So you, no one's going to know it, but the Lord's going to know it. But you're going to say, God's going to smile at you. See? And you're going to, that's part of the joy of heaven and eternity, this kind of relationship we're going to enter into with the Lord. So, so he, that new name, okay, I don't want to get off the track here. So give him a white stone. So the white stone says you're innocent. And first of all, if you're there at this time, you're innocent because you see you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. You've already been declared innocent by the blood of Jesus. Not anything you deserved. You didn't earn it. But already, you're innocent. You get a white stone, you're innocent. But the important thing here, the bigger part of this, is in that stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So on that stone, now, follow with me. 
in that stone, that new name of yours is going to be written. The Lord will hand it to you, and you'll look at it. Wow. And I believe at the same time, God's going to bring revelation, and your mind is just going to be thinking, well, how you ended up with that stone. Now, is this an unusual thing to get a new name? Follow the Bible. Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah. Come on, it just goes on and on. But here's a good one. I could name them all, but here's the good one. Do you know that Gideon's name was changed? Yes. Say it, Chris, out loud. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. It's really Zerubbabel. Do you know what that means? A contender with the enemy. When did he get that? After he tore down the high places and the altars of Baal. He was Gideon who was being called of God, the mighty man of God, going to be used to deliver Israel at that particular time from the Gideonites who were coming in and robbing them of their food. So he raised up Gideon. Gideon raised up an army. You remember the 300 it ended up being? But prior to that, uh, Gideon, I think he already had a heart toward God. He got some boys together, his gang, and they went out at night and they snuck up to the high places and they tore the altars down. The next day, guess they, first of all, they said, who could do something like that? And the next thing you read, they show up at Gideon's house. That says to me that Gideon had some kind of reputation. Not as someone who's just out there vandalism, but some kind of reputation that who disliked these altars maybe? Maybe even he shared his dislike and it was, so he shows up at Gideon's house. The father comes to the door. They said, bring Gideon. Well, you know, you're not going to do that. It was after that, the very next thing you see, read it yourself in Judges chapter 6. His name was changed as Rubel. Isn't that something neat? So everything in the Word of God has some meaning, which will take us even into Revelation here, where a stone would... Now... Can I add something to here that I can't totally prove scripturally? <laughs> you say, where does he go with this? I can't totally prove this. In a way, I can, if I had time to sit down with you. See, the Bible indicates in a way that, that there are going to be some people that are going to receive stiffer judgment than others. There, there actually talks about and we'd have to have time to go through this, but stiffer judgment. In other words, hell is not, there are going to be stiffer judgment. And I believe it's like when you talk about the Hitlers of this world, a stiffer judgment. Simply because, and others, stiffer judgment. But I also believe heaven is a place where there are going to be different rewards yes. and levels. And you say, what do you mean? We're all going to be the same in heaven. I don't agree with that. Now, will one individual know that it's different for them? No. Heaven's going to be a delight for them too. But here's what the Bible tells about what heaven and glory and resurrection will be like. Some will shine like the moon. Others will shine like the sun. What does the moon do? It reflects. The sun shines on its own. There are a lot of people that will reflect. They know Christ. They're in heaven but it says that Joseph, of Joseph, his star is going to shine brighter than any of the other stars. Yes. 
Why? Because I think Joseph is one of those guys that's greater reward than most people. And if you look at his life, you understand why. Yes. What he went through. Okay? I think that this name on the stone is like an usher at a door. When you go in, they say, where's your ticket? They look at your ticket, and on there it says, oh, row one, seat 20. Come with me. Mm -hmm. I think the name on it reflects the wrestlings and the life that you had. Joseph, we don't, the Bible doesn't show us a new name with him other than the one he got, the Egyptian name. That's not considered a new name. But there, Joseph, what he went through, even most people don't even realize. Can you imagine, really, what did he go through in that prison, knowing he was innocent? What did he really go through when that, he was, you know, all those incidents, what did he really go through? You know, and yet, in the end, he said, I forgive him, God. I mean, the, 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 the spirituality of Joseph to be able to forgive his brothers and say, listen, you meant it from harm, and God meant it for good. Yes. There was something big about that. Yes. It wasn't just that Joseph was a good man. There was something about his character that just outshines a whole lot of other people. I'm not saying that they don't have character, they're not good people, but I think you're following with me. There are just some people you say, man, I, I look at some people now and I say, I just know I could never get to that place. I'm thinking of one right now, Dave Newcomb, Cindy. Yeah. Dave Newcomb was Doug Newcomb's father. Dave Newcomb was an elder in this church. I, I learned to appreciate that, man. He was my Bible college teacher. He officiated, helped officiate at my wedding. We so respected and loved him. And uh, when he left here, he worked for IBM, had a, a big job in the 80s. I mean, big, high up. God only knew he would have taken him with IBM. He gives up this tremendous salary and everything to pastor a little faith Bible chapel in Janesville, Wisconsin. Yes. Because there was a little congregation that needed a pastor. And he went and pastored that church. I went to his house and I ministered at that church. And I'll never forget, he and his wife, Lois Newcomb, who just passed away, on the couch at four o'clock in the morning, I'm hearing him from the bedroom where I'm saying, praying. Every day I was there. And this man is one of those guys, I always say, God, there is no way that I have that type of commitment. And guess what? I know that. Now you say, well, why aren't you going to strive for that? I'll strive to do my best, but I know my limitations. I'm just not going to be there. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to step aside for a whole lot of other folks that are going to walk right up to Jesus that no one knows their name. They're not the Billy Grahams. They're not the Rick Warrens. They're not, this, they're not any of those people. They're that person who just wrestled it out with God, was faithful, was loyal, was holy, and they just lived their life, their spirituality between them and God. You kind of know what I'm talking about here? Wow. You know, so this name change thing. All right, am I even getting to where I'm at? I, I hope you're following with this. Let me give you a strategy for successful change. Now you can write these down, okay? strategy for successful change. And it's just, just something I'm going to run through, but I think it'll be helpful. 
the strategy. When you change your thinking, you change your beliefs. When you change your thinking, you change your beliefs. I'm going to try to hang with these up here a little if you write them down. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, it says this, I live in Bible. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about those things that are pure and lovely. Dwell on the fine, good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad. Do you get this? It's thoughts. Think about pure things. Think about lovely things. Because this is what you begin to believe. This is what you believe in people. When you think some things about people, you begin to believe it about them. So when you change your thinking, you change your beliefs too. When you change your beliefs, you change your expectations. When you change your beliefs, you'll change your expectations. Let this verse help us. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. That is why I am suffering here in jail, and I am certainly not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to safely guard all that I have given him until the day of his return. The expectation is, is that it is all going to work out <laughs> up until the day he returns. I might not see all the for I know in the whom I trust. So whether it be suffering, he said, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm willing to go through all of these things. And it has a lot to do with your expectations on life that God's going to come through for you. Uh, here are some basic beliefs that motivate people. I think we have these down here. God has a plan for my life. Do you believe it? These are your basic beliefs that will motivate you and keep you motivated. Always believe that God has a plan for your life. Two, God wants me to fulfill that plan. I know this, and you ought to know it. God has a plan, and he wants you to fulfill that plan. Three, God will help me succeed. I'm not left just to work it out myself. God's going to help me succeed for the plan that he has for me. I can know God's plan for my life. I don't, I don't have to wonder. Do I always know exactly? No, but overall, it's all going to be put together. I can know God's plan for my life. There'll be times when some of it's hidden from me, but generally speaking, I can know God's plan for my life. Another one, God wants to bless me. Not only to succeed, but he wants to bless my life. Listen, that'll motivate you. You know, it could look, it could look pretty dark sometime, but if you know these things, and this one that God wants to bless us, I walk out of that door, God wants to bless me today. I believe that. It's not based on because I'm a good guy. It's just based on God and who he is and what he wants to do for me, period. I must change to grow with God's plan. That's, I put this at the end. All those things are true, but you're gonna have to change if you're to grow with God's plan because you can make these null and void by stopping the, pro the process of changing your life. So all these things which are true, you can negate, simply by coming to the place where you're not changing in your life. Because God's just not going to do these things. They're going to end up harming you if you just keep living the way you want to live. No, he wants you to keep changing. As you keep changing, look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, a familiar verse. He that hath begun a good work in us 
being confident. Oh, I should, being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I love this verse. It is one of my favorites. I have a lot of favorites, and I probably say that more than I should say. No, I, I try to be careful that there are some really favorite ones. This is one. God, I'm confident that you started a good work in me, and Lord, you're going to complete that work. He didn't start something in you just all of a sudden say, okay, that was a good run. <laughs> you know, I got to go pick someone else that's down the road, and I'm going to run with them a little bit. He's going to keep doing that work. You've got to be confident in it. A third thing here. When you change your expectations, you change your attitude. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10 here at the Living Bible. Even when he reached God's promised land, he lived in tents like a mere visitor, as did Isaac and Jacob, to whom God gave the same promise. Abraham did this because he was confidently waiting for God to bring him to that strong heavenly city whose designer and builder is God. You change your expectations. In other words, lift up your eyes. Expect something more heavenly. Expect something greater. And then your attitude will change. I hope you can see how this will tie with your attitude, your daily. My, my expectations, man, I got a better home to live. So my attitude, my attitude isn't, why don't I have a better house? Why did they skip over me? Why did this, you know, this stinky attitude that no one wants to hear anyway? Amen. <laughs> right? Amen. Who really wants to hear it? Because they love you and know you and they're a family member, they might put up with it. They don't really want to hear it. Right? So, have a right attitude. Another one for here. When you change your attitude, you change your behavior. So my attitude now toward life and other things, I'll behave differently. <laughs> I will behave differently. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The part, focus in on, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he, and, and this is the attitude and your behavior. It's as you think, that's what you're going to be in your heart. Uh, okay, five. When you change your behavior, you'll change your performance. Things will, if your behavior changes to what it ought to be, your performance level is going to change. Someone walking around with a bad attitude is not going to perform very well. Seriously. You know that on the job. You, people with bad attitudes, they're not performing to the level they ought to. They're not helping you. They're not helping the team. They're not helping the company. They don't help a church. I mean, it, none, none, nobody that has bad attitude and bad behavior. But if you have all those things, your performance level is going to go up. Yes. Simply because your attitude has changed for the better. Sixth one, when you change your performance, you change your life. Your whole life begins to change as a result of it. And that's our, our goal, is that we end up like that. So, I can't emphasize enough how that the work of God's Spirit in our life is absolutely 
Not only is it essential, it is part of our following Christ. Okay? It is part of who we are in following Christ is to change. So it shouldn't throw you. Uh, sure, there are a lot of times God reveals something to me either through a circumstance, a situation, or a relationship that reveals something that I, I know is wrong in my life. It might hurt. I might be disappointed in myself. I might have to do some dying. But the end result will be is my life is going to be better. Not only here, but my eternal existence is going to be better for all these reasons. All right? All right. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.